equations. It's a letter Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. I was intending on preaching on the crucifixion today in our series on in the Gospel of John, but as I was studying, there are some more tidbits that I wanted to go back and study out and completely uh, go over that before we preach anything. So we'll plan, Lord willing, to deliver that message next week. And so definitely a good message to be able to bring visitors to. So you know you got friends, family. You know what Paul said, I determined to know nothing save the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And that was the main thing. I was preaching Christ and Him crucified. And so next week be a very clear gospel message. And we're going to be preaching today on what really led to the crucifixion, and that's love. If you see love is said to be the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to begin reading there in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. You notice, you know, it uses the term fruit in a singular sense. But yet we see a plurality of what we maybe would consider fruits of the Spirit. I don't think this is an accident that it's written this way. That it's not written in a way that as a Christian, when you walk in the Spirit, that you choose which one of these types of fruit you are. That you know, hey, you know, I'm going to be the fruit of love. Someone else be, you know, I'll be the fruit of peace, or someone else, I'm the fruit of gentleness. But it's not how it's written. It's written as the fruit of the Spirit is, given the implication that this ought to be the fruit that flows from all of us, and it be in every single one of these. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. And you know, when you see a speed limit sign, you know, my wife reminds me every time you go in this school district, you go, it's 20 miles per hour, people are in school! So I gotta go down one mile. So, or sometimes I actually have to go up. So I go, oh, okay, let me, let me go back up. But she's that forever reminder um, for me. You know, she takes that calling in the Bible, literally, where she's to help me um, for her husband. So she helps me drive. And um, Candace got to experience that, so we took her to the preacher's DUI. And she might be saying, yeah, he really needs it really bad, too. Um, but we had fun. We had a good time laughing on our way there and on our way back to the preacher's DUI this past week. So we really had a good time and got some good Bible preaching. And so you see a speed limit sign. It says, basically, hey, don't go faster than this. But there is no law that says you can't have more love than this amount. There's no law that says you can't trespass um, having too much self-control, too much 
temperance. There's no law saying, okay, you've been gentle enough. Okay, so, so against such, there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Anybody remember who Madeline um, Murillo here is? Anybody have a name? You know, she was kind of the founder of one of the American atheist movements. She um, fought hard um, to end the time of prayer in school, where they would have this time where it'd be a moment of silence, people could pray or do whatever during that time, and she fought hard to end um, prayer. She pressured NASA to not allow prayer when in outer space. About her, her son, Willow Murray, ended up becoming a Christian. And then he ended up becoming a Baptist preacher. And, and so, you know, it's being seen what the Lord could do. You know, if someone that despised, spent her life crusading against God in all forms of manifestation, if it's in the political sphere, anywhere in the public, uh, even in church, she wanted to get rid of it. But yet, we see her son ends up being a Baptist preacher. Well, she ends up disowning her son. And she said this, she goes, one could call this a postnatal abortion on the part of a mother, I guess. I repudiate him entirely and completely for now and at all times. He is beyond human forgiveness. The only reason she said that was because her son became a Christian. Completely contrary to her life's mission. Her son ended up writing in her diary, or uh, writing in his book, excuse me, writing in his book, and he said, said this, when I was a young boy of 10 or 11 years old, she would come home and brag about spending the day in X-rated movie theaters in downtown Baltimore. Mm -hmm. My mother's whole life circulated around such things. It was love of power over people that finally caused not only her death, but the deaths of my brother and my daughter. My mother was an evil person. Not for removing prayer from American schools. No, she was just evil. She stole huge amounts of money. She misused the trust of people. She cheated children out of her, their parents' inheritance. She cheated on her taxes and even stole from her own organizations. She once printed up phony stock certificates on her own printing press to try to take over another atheist publishing company. So just writes about how evil her mother, his mother really was. You know, the Bible talks about how the fool says there is no God. And then the fool says, no, God. You know, the number one reason people want to be an atheist is because they do not want to bow down to an outside authority greater than themselves. But yet later on, after she died, when her diaries were found, 
page after page. It's commonly written in her diary, literally written in this way, and also in other words saying the same thing. Where she writes and implies, somebody, somewhere, please love me. Somebody, somewhere, please love me. So she had a void in her life. Looking for love. She's had her extramarital affairs and everything. Always looking for love. And God's love was not hidden or difficult to find. She knew where it was, and yet she crusaded against the love of God. So as Christians, we are to manifest the love of God. Christians manifest the love of God. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and know of God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Christians manifest the love of God. And we're told, let us love one another, for love is of God. If we love not, and you know what? It raises some doubts on whether we're truly saved. And we're not saved by works. We're not saved by our love for one another. But you know, when you meet the divine one, when you meet the king of kings, the one that loves all, it can't but change your heart. Doesn't mean you're not going to have your struggles with the flesh. But you know, Christians are to manifest the love of God. To have a spirit-filled love manifested. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul writes hyperbolically. Hyperbole. I used to always call it hyperbole. That's what it looks like to me when I read hyperbole, okay? hyperbole. Well, it's like hyperbole. And so I used to say it that way, and my wife ended up saying it that way. I don't know why she ever thought she'd follow my type of English, but she was. And so then someone else had to go, what, what are you saying? What are you saying? I was just so glad it wasn't me at the time. You thought it was her and stuff. So I say, yeah, I learned that from her. <laughs> okay, but Paul uses some hyperbole to kind of illustrate some things. He goes, So I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity. I am become as the sounding brass and tingling symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, he says, Paul Harrigan isn't claiming that he knows all knowledge, or he knows all mysteries, or that he speaks in all the, the tongues of angels, or anything like that. That's why I'm saying he's using hyperbolic language. But he goes, though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. 
David and Brian have all of these. I am nothing without sharing. Continue your son. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And you think that's a loving act to give to the poor. But is it possible to have certain acts and not really have a heart to love? Maybe it's just for a tax deduction. Maybe it's for the prestige, for it to be seen of men. That you know you're wealthy, wealthy and you're cool. I can just help someone that's poor and be seen on camera and be talked about. Okay? Though so I be so all my goods to be the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, he's going to die as a martyr. He goes, and have not charity that profiteth me nothing. There's no good. Do all that. Charity suffer of long and is kind. Charity envy of not. Charity want of not itself is not puff up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seek of not her own. Is not easily provoked. Think of no evil. Rejoice of not in iniquity, but rejoice of in the truth. Bear of all things. Believe of all things. Hope of all things. Endure of all things. Charity never fell. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be no knowledge, it shall vanish away. Charity is a genuine love. A love that manifests itself. Some have called charity to be love in action, that it is a love with feet to it. The Bible says that the love of many shall wax cold, that men love darkness because their deeds were evil. But charity is a genuine, spirit-filled love. It's deeper than just an emotional love. Man was coming out of anesthesia after a very serious surgery. His wife was sitting at his bedside, and when his eyes started to flutter open, he whispered, You are beautiful. The wife felt so flattered. You know, how kind my husband. First thing he says as he wakes up from his surgery is, You are beautiful. A little bit of time goes on, he continues to wake up. And then he said to his wife, you're cute. She said, what happened to beautiful? He said, the drugs are wearing off. <laughs> you know what? Emotional love may wear off. But the kind of love that the Holy Spirit gives is fruitful. It's everlasting. So we're going to first look at the helpfulness of love. The helpfulness of love. In verse 4, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envy of not, charity bond of not self is not puff up. And so we see that suffer of long. 
Spirit is suffer long. What's that mean? What does that mean? You know what? Love is patient. Suffering long means the slowness of anger, or it takes a long time to boil. Do you know people who are quick to boil? They get hotter than the water on your stove. Have a short fuse. Now those people reflect the opposite of God's love. God doesn't want you to wait until you get to heaven and get along with people. Okay. Okay. You'll be around a lot of people then. Might as well learn to get along with people now. Once you learn how learn how to love people on earth. Look at Stephen as he's being stoned to death. Paul, when he was called Saul, Saul consenting to his death, having Stephen stoned for his favor, declaring the name of Jesus, and then it says, stones are hitting them. He says, lay not this sin to their charge. In his prayer to God, didn't even respond with anger. Abraham Lincoln had an early political rival named Edwin Stanton. He was known for calling Lincoln the original gorilla. When Lincoln was elected president, he chose Edwin Stanton to be his secretary of war. Someone asked him why he chose a rival, someone that always opposed his politics. He responded, because he's the best man for the job. You know, he may not like me politically, but for this particular job, he's the best man for it. At Lincoln's funeral, Edwin Stanton said this, here lies the greatest leader the world has ever known. Harry Abraham Lincoln made a friend choosing someone that was a political enemy. And his non-revengeful spirit proved his patience and in return won a friendship. Charity suffer along and is kind. Charity. Love is kind. But 1 Peter 3.8 tells us, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love is reverent, be pitiful, be courteous. Now, sometimes it can be easier to be kinder to a stranger in a store or a fellow employee than to be kind to your spouse or children. Now, may our children not see in your life's pattern. And you're kinder to others than to them. Be kind to others. Let them see that. But let that be also what's in the home. That they see a kindness. Love is kind. You see, there is the humility of love. The humility of love. You see that love is not jealous. That it says... Charity, envy of not. You know what? Envy is a form of jealousy. 
They are envious against someone else because of what they have or how you feel like God's blessed them. You know, I've seen it in the minds of Christians before where they see someone else is someone that doesn't really have a, much of a Christian law. Yeah, they're saved, and they feel like they themselves are walking a more spiritual walk. And yet they envy, they're jealous, and then they see, why is God blessing them? And um, when you see the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't get envious, doesn't get jealous. Jealousy is not a minor sin. It was the reason for the first murder in the Bible. And that Abel offered the sacrifice that was well pleasing to God, what God required. But Cain thought he'd try to produce an offering of his own works instead of by faith bringing what God required. And God was dissatisfied with Cain's sacrifice. Wasn't looking for his works of his fruit, of his, of his type of design of bringing the fruit, the vegetables, everything in came. That's not what God required. God required a sacrifice. King got jealous. He got envious. That Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God. And he killed him. Jealousy led to the first murder in the Bible. So it's so dangerous we can't allow it our lives. You know, the Bible talks about how envy, bitterness, it's this rottenness to the bones. I've seen over the years that oftentimes bitter people do die younger. Bitter people do get in poor health quicker. So when you think, oh, well, you know, they're bitter because they're in poor health. Well, it's usually the other way around. People get bitter in the poor health See, that it says of charity, that it vaunteth not itself. The love does not brag. 1 Corinthians 14, that's just the next chapter, verse 26. Paul goes, How is it then, brethren, when you come together and every one of you have a song, have a doctrine, have a tongue, have a revelation, have an interpretation? Let all things be done unto edifying. You, you know, he confronts these people for having a misunderstanding on what the gift of tongues was for. And um, he explains to them that the gift of tongues was a sign to unbelieving Israel that God would use people that speak in other tongues, in other languages, and that would be a stumbling block to them, but they'd see the people filled with the Spirit of God, and that they would speak the Word of God in their language, even though they come from people of other languages. And then he goes, but you guys as a church, you're all claiming these spiritual gifts that, you know, you have a new doctrine God's given you. You have a new revelation or that you vault yourself up because you speak in this tongue that you think is an angelic language. But it's just people are coming in and they're hearing a bunch of noise in the church and no one is set apart. Since these spiritual gifts... We're not to puff you up. 
These spiritual gifts were not to show your prominence in the church. Your spiritual gift was to edify the body, to bring edification to the church, to edify other people, to serve other people. No wonder Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. But the church at Corinth was so much about a show in their pride. You see, love does not pump itself up. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. We see like it's basically kind of gives an emphasis. First it says charity bond to not itself, and then it says it's not puffed up. So I just said emphasis on this pride, on this arrogance. Now, William Carey was a Baptist missionary to India. He knew 23 languages, and he interpreted the scriptures in these languages in dialect, translated them. During a trip back to England, he attended a dinner with a group of scholars and other religious leaders. And one of them asked and said, I understand you once were a shoemaker, right? Kerber replied, oh no, I was never a shoemaker. I was a shoe repairman. You know, you see, William Carey was not trying to lift himself up by what he did before. But had humility. Arrogance is big-headed, but love is big-hearted. So love is not arrogant. It does not puff up. The holiness of love. The love is set apart. The God's love sets apart those who manifest it from those who produce their own type of love. Bible says that does not behave itself unseemly. Basically means that love is not rude. And it's not unseemly. It's, it's not, it does not behave in a rude manner. When the church at Corinth were supposed to be observing the Lord's table, instead it turned into some kind of big mega meal. And instead of being even like a shared meal, like a potluck, so to speak, you know, Paul says you were in eating, everyone taken before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. Tell them, you know, here you're like, you know what, do you eat? They're over here, they're having a big meal, and they're leaving the poor Christians in the church hungry, or with little, or with the less desirable food. And one that was supposed to be the Lord's table. And yet they just made it into this great feast. And even in this feast, there was division. You behave in a rude manner. Love does not behave unseemly. Seek of not her own. Love does not seek its own. It's not look after his own good. It's his priority. Philippians 2.4 tells us, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Not just be so consumed what we need to get done, but on the needs of others. 
not in song. You know, just a couple of days ago, I had the privilege of going flying with um, Andrew. Went to Chehalis to go get some fuel. And the price was almost a dollar more than it was supposed to be. And he's like, no, out of principle, you know, I'd rather go pay gas for more. Because um, this is false advertising. And you know, I agree with that. You know, I know you hate that. You know what your advertised this amount to be the price. And then say you get to the check register and it costs dollar, two dollars more. You know, like, oftentimes, you know what? Yeah, it's going to be more effort for you to go somewhere else and go get it. But it's like, you know what? I'm putting this back if you're not going to match the price. But anyways, we got to go and, you know, he's asking what's going on. And talk about working on the washing machine. It's been like over a week project. Is that like, got a little bit of time here, a little problem there. At first, it's like, you know, maybe you don't got time to go flying. You know, you got the washing machine to work on. Uh, so I, I, I do work on tonight. And so we went flying and everything. And, you know, one of the things he mentioned, though, he goes, well, you know, while your washing machine's out of commission, you know, if you want to go to your wife, you know, like, so you can come and bring the clothes over and, you know, come to our house and get the laundry done here um, until you get that fixed and everything. You see, that's the love that you're not just seeking your own. You understand, okay? The laundry in our house is going to be more than the laundry in the average family. Maybe you haven't thought that through yet, I don't know. But but having six kids, two adults, it's a lot. That's a lot of laundry, especially after the washing machine's been out for over a week. Okay? Now, thankfully, we went to the laundry man here and there. But he's like, come spring them over. Thankfully, God fixed that night. It's working, brother. Praise God. Yeah. I don't know why it wasn't working the first time, why we had to take it apart in the first place, but the second time, after I put it together, I know why it wasn't working. You know, there was a part of I already installed it, I should have plugged the thing in before I put it in back in there, but I already bolted it down, I didn't really have the adequate tools with me at the time, so I was making do with the tools I had, so it was kind of a pain to get things bolted back in, um, trying to reach in, and I put them in before I plugged things in. Well, when I plugged one in, I was like, hey, this one's firm, this one's kind of loose. So I was like, no, I'll put some tape on it. Put some tape on it, keep it on, maybe that's what happened. Maybe it stripped loose from the vibrations. Put tape on it, put it together, still not working. So I, came to, I took it to the appliance store already, the repair store, and they said, the motor, the drain pump test's fine. So LG contacted them, had them look, he said, it looks like it's the pump. And so, you know, we're not seeing any good, it's not moving through their diagnosis on the code. I take it out and I come to see that second one, the reason it's loose, it's not even plugged in. It's plugged in a hole that's next to it. So it slides in, goes past where it would, and just comes right out. And so there's a little bit of friction, so I thought it was on. But yeah, if it's not plugged in on the prong, your washing machine won't work, okay? So I learned that for taking it apart the second or third time. Amen. But we got it, amen. Praise God. All right, got that wrapped, amen. Okay, love does not seek its own. 
you know, I was seeking after others. You know, I saw, you know, last week, you know, Patty was um, over at the gospel mission, working hard, um, cleaning up the floods that were there that met. You know, it's a church, you know, we donated $200 to help towards some of their um, repair efforts. But seeing her there, saw her on the news, on the Chronicles, she wasn't there looking for her attention, just going there to serve. You know, as a minister to others, not to see what kind of blessing she could get herself. See, love does not seek its own. Love is not easily provoked. You know, like Jesus, as he's being crucified, before he's going to be crucified, as they're preparing to crucify him, they mock him, they hit him, and then they, and he, the Bible says Peter is recognizing him, he goes, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judged the righteous. So he commits himself to the spot, reviles not. I think all of us have met people in our life that is so easy to provoke them. They just, they're easily provoked. Now, my spiritual gift can be too easily provoked. The Bible doesn't say don't easily provoke people. It says not to be easily provoked. So if I provoke you, just get tougher. Come on. I'm saying it's not a good thing either to trying to provoke people. Except for unto love and the good works. That's one thing Bible does say, to provoke one another. You know, you imagine a husband and a wife, you know, the husband says, you're so sensitive! She's like, you're so insensitive! Okay? You know, we want to have a good spirit on both sides, don't we? Love is not easily provoked. Don't be easily offended. You know, don't just walk out of a relationship because somebody offended you. You know, I understand there's times where, you know, like God brings people to church, God brings people, moves them somewhere else. We're helping other states have revival by sending our Christians, our church members away. Um, Lord's will be done. If that's God's will, I know it's not my will for them to all leave. But, you know, God, but that happens at times where, okay, God brings people and they, they, they move on. But if there's ever a time where you were to move on, maybe God moves you out of state, maybe it's a job or whatever, but let it never be because you were provoked by some, some type of offense. Instead, work on reconciling that offense. The Bible says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that we're to reconcile with one another and to seek reconciliation with others. I don't want to be anything. It would be the job. Don't walk out of a job just because you were easily promoted. Just because you got frustrated. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that yielding, that you know, how is that? Yielding, the, the spirit that, I'll have to find it later, but this, be not, it's something about you not being easily promoted. Um, um, when the spirit of the ruler rises above the gates, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great anger. 
They know it's okay. No, just be patient. Leave an eye on your place. You know, I know some employees, they don't want to get any kind of correction from their boss, especially if their boss is a little bit red-headed at the time. And they're just like, you know what, fine, I'm done with this. Okay, yeah, I'm sure maybe the employer's going to suffer, but you're going to suffer as well about the job. You know what I mean? It's not how we're really to be trying to build our relationships as a Christian, okay? Love thinketh no evil. Love thinketh no evil. We ought to focus more on helping solve problems than assigning blame. And not to make evil assumptions. Now, my wife reminds me of this one all the time. You know, I think, you know, that, you know our child must have did this or that. She'll ask me, is really, that what you think of your children? Is that what you think and stuff? Like, no, it's what I do! <laughs> no, my children are amazing, they're wonderful. And stuff. But sometimes I see the sin, and she's the one with grace and mercy, and she's like, you know what, maybe she's second guess that. You know what, just the other day, I'm like, you know what, my kids didn't do their schoolwork when they were at grandparents. Well, they did it, it's just <coughs> wasn't connected to the internet yet, so it didn't seem go. It's like their math, we're able to see their progress and stuff. And see, she was right there. Because you know what? She didn't tell me these words. But you know what? Love, charity, think of no people. Okay? Our, our, our mindset should not always be to assume the worst. Now there's gonna be times where you know you need to be discerned. You know what? You gotta you got you gotta realize what's true. Well, you don't deny what's true um, because you're trying to say to no evil. But you also want to be willing to forgive. You see, Jesus says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to which that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Love, thank you, no evil. They'll always have the worst assumption. I've used this illustration before in another message, okay? You know what? I don't think a pastor should be hanging out in the towers, okay, in the bars. You know, I think it's not the best testimony of people in town are going, oh yeah, that's the pastor's favorite bar. Don't think that's becoming of a minister of God. Becoming of us is walking in the Lord, walking in the Lord, okay? Well, there's a time where I had to go walk into a bar looking for a man that was getting drunk, was being abusive to his wife, and then leaving, abandoning um, her and everything, and, and we were looking for him. So I had to go in to a bar. Hey, now, I don't think anyone else saw me that, that said, oh, man, I can't believe the assistant pastor just went in there. But if it had been you, you know what? You should try hopefully know your pastor and think that, you know, I don't know why pastor went in there. There must have been a good reason. Now, my testimony should be worthy where you doubt, you wonder, okay, you must not be going there to get drunk, okay? My testimony should be that where it affords you that benefit of thinking that way. 
Boeing can you imagine someone that says, man, you got a pastor, there is something up to it. I knew there was a reason he almost fell asleep while he was preaching. I got to work overnight next Saturday, okay? So if I knew it's not because I'm drunk, I start falling asleep, okay? You just start saying amen louder, and then maybe, maybe I won't fall asleep during my own preaching. But love thinking no evil. If anything, you're like, hey, Pastor, I saw you go in there. Except, um, you know, if something happened or someone you're trying to reach out. And so, so love thinking no evil. Doesn't think evil intense immediately. Doesn't mean there's no time to investigate, to see. But you give the benefit of the doubt. You know, I say we have a Sunday school teacher in and then someone just comes up and brings some kind of railing accusation against them. Give them the benefit of doubt. Maybe like, you know what, that doesn't seem to be the person that I know. You know, maybe you know it was, but there's some bitterness here. You know, maybe let's go together and try to get things resolved. And often times we're like, no! And it'll be gone. But then you'll know, okay, who was wrong and who was right. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Rejoice of not in iniquity. Often the most popular magazines, books, movies, TV programs glorify sin. Sometimes rejoicing in iniquity takes the form of hoping someone will make a mistake or fall into sin. A common form of rejoicing in sin is repetitively listening to people who speak evil of others. And love does not rejoice in iniquity. And I've seen this on social media where someone talks about some sin they're committing and everyone congratulates them for it. That's not love. It's not love to rejoice in iniquity. Because it makes somebody happy. Go all over the pulpits today, in America and Canada, maybe other places in the world, there's been some pastors calling for preachers to preach on the topic of sexual immorality. Because um, there's been a law that just passed in Canada that made it illegal for a Christian to try to convince someone to not live in the gay lifestyle or to not be transgender. To, to tell someone that, no, there's a better way. You know, and there's, there's the gospel. You know, follow God's plan. They're making that illegal. So a bunch of pastors are boldly declaring the truth to try to wake America up, wake Canada up, that the pulpits are not going to be silent. Because you know, if you love people, you're going to be willing to tell them the truth. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love, as we see also, where it says, love of rejoicing in the truth. When you think about a child that Instead of being talked into mutilating themselves, they change their gender. Many times pressured by the world, pressured by others. 
Just because a girl wants to go, go hunting with her dad or something like that. Like, oh, you must be a boy. You need to turn into a boy. And then later, in life, come to regret. Oh, man, I can't believe you know all this pressure was put on me to change like this. And then people will encourage That's not love. It's not love to encourage people into a culture that would be sinful. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but love rejoices in the truth. Love always rejoices in God's truth and never with falsehood or false teaching. Love cannot tolerate false doctrine. It is ignorant to say doctrine doesn't matter, that all that matters is that we love one another. That's the basic view of what is commonly called the ecumenical movement, a goal to unite all faiths which diminish the truth. If we love others, it will matter a great deal to us whether or not one believes the truth or falsehood. So everyone has personal liberty to believe what they want to believe, and there may be a time where they say, hey, you know what, I don't want to hear your arguments. That's fine. You know what, Bible says, you know what, wipe the dust off your feet, move on to another. But if someone you truly love rejecting Christ, Believing, holding on to a false religion, and you know they're holding to a false religion, they're holding to a false Jesus or no Jesus at all, and you don't tell them, is that really love? Or does love say, you know what, I care about their eternity? Jesus came, died for them, was buried, rose again, made a way of salvation for all. Do I love them enough to tell them that? Or do I not want to prove their feelings so I don't tell them at all? Which one's more love? Someone that's willing to, not intentionally, but might hurt their feelings, might offend them, but it provokes them the thought to consider and perhaps trust in Jesus as their Savior and then go to heaven, or to not tell them and then go to hell. Which one is more loving? I think the answer is pretty obvious. And so, you know, we're not in a communal church. And now all people are welcome to come here. Okay, you know, if we want to teach the gospel to as many people that come here, and we want to be out there telling the gospel. But the reason we don't yoke up with every kind of church is because not every church teaches the gospel. Love rejoices in the truth, the power of love. Love is willing and able to carry burdens. We see bearer of all things, verse 7. Love is willing and able to carry burdens. They know there's signs in your life where you know you carry the burdens for another. Love believes all things. Believe of all things. Now, this isn't talking about the context of doctrinal truth and then falsehood and you just believe everything. Okay? Okay? This time out, know that you know what someone tells you someone something. You know, instead of always doubting them, you know what? You want to believe it. You want to believe what they're saying is true. And again, sometimes that's where there's this conflict. 
say someone is coming to speak ill of someone else, and you know the other person's character, well, you want to be quick not to just believe that, okay? But you want to believe all things still, you know you believe in their character. So, you know, there's some discernment in here, but if you want to know someone that believes of all things, and you really want to be able to um, joke with someone, you know what, joke with my wife, you can tell her to lie on these things, and she'll go, oh, really? Oh, that's so interesting. My wife saying, love this and tell everybody everything either. And I always find me seeing people pulling their legs sometimes, but you know what? She's trying to believe all things. Maybe a crazy idea, but she wants to believe it. Like, wow, that's interesting. That's unbelievable, but I'll believe it because they're saying it. So if you want to joke, joke around, joke with my wife today right after church. We'll see if it works. I love the week of all things. Love have hope. Hope of all things. You know, God will not take Israel's failures as final. God still isn't taking Israel's failure as final. As we see in the Bible, the Bible prophesies that there would be a remnant in the end, that they'd be drafted back into the olive branch, and that they would recognize and see Christ as he steps on the mount. All of us. You see, Jesus did not take Peter's failure in his final when he denied him three times. Paul also would not take the Corinthians' failure in his final. Wrote him again, and we see him in the, in the other letter. And praising some of the things that they got right. You know, and there are more than enough promises in the Bible to make love hopeful. You know, you see that mother that cares for her wayward child. That hope. Hope that they come back to Christ. Hope. Hope believe of all things. As we were facing this in nation, hundreds of millions of people losing their job based on their vaccination status. And hope! You know, the Supreme Court would rule right. It's possible they weren't going to. But there is a hope. But what a greater hope we have in Christ. Way greater hope we have than in our own judiciary system. Hope we have in Christ, that we could hope all things. That you know, maybe you know a family member or a friend that's sick, not even in death, but you can cling to a hope that you pray and ask for healing. And God just may grant that. It's hope, believe, of all things. Heard the story of another dog. You know, my kids were like, why would that dog that you mentioned last week just sit there in the fire in obedience to their master? And stuff, just as if they were trying to stay um, faithful to stay in the place that the owner didn't know there was going to be a fire. But I heard of another dog that was very loyal to their owner. They ended up leaving, going on air, going to the airport, leaving, and ended up passing away somehow. I don't remember how. But the dog stayed at that airport of a large city for over five years waiting for his master to return. Employees and others fed the dog, took care of him, they knew whose dog it was, but he would not leave the spot where he last saw his master. 
would not give up hope that someday they would be reunited. And if a dog's love for his mixer can produce that kind of hope, how much longer should our love make our hope last? Where we don't give up. Where we don't give up on one another. We don't give up on others. That we have hope. I remember praying for my dad and mother, stepmom, to get saved. And over time, you know, I basically quit praying. I didn't even really think about it. But yet he did end up getting saved. Praise God. Oh, I wish I had continued to have that hope instead of being shocked. So you know what sometimes happens? You know, God shows himself faithful, and then one day we lose hope. But it just was a reminder that I did not need to lose hope. But to hope but continue to pray for the salvation of my parents. Love perseveres. Endure of all things. It will overcome obstacles. Life will get hard. But love endures. It endures all things. It may not be easy, but it endures. The action of love. The action of love. Love is often displayed through giving. We see Paul talks about um, giving of himself. Uh, we see Jesus talking about giving of your time, giving of your talents, giving of, giving of finances. What uh, love gives. Love takes action. Amy Carmine said this, you can give without loving, but you cannot live without giving. She gave her life to help orphans. When you give your time, you are giving your most valuable asset. You give yourself. There once was a teenage girl who grew tired of reading to her little brother bedtime stories. At first she loved them. She loved reading those bedtime stories. But she got tired of it because little brother wanted every night, not going to bed until you read me a bedtime story. And so mom's like delegated to the daughter, and the daughter started doing the reading. But she got tired of it. She thought of a plan. She decided to record several of his favorite stories onto his CD. She told him, now you can hear your stories anytime you want. Isn't that great? He looked at the CD player for a moment and said, no, it does not have a ladder. See, there's something more to the reading of the story than just reading a book. It was the time that she was given. So, of course, she continued to read to him. Love isn't always spelled L-O-V-E, boss, or T-I-N-E. Time. God's love was displayed through giving. So we see in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in him should never perish, but have everlasting life. We see that love gives. John says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Okay, may that be your encouragement today. Don't just love anymore. Don't just tell your spouse. Don't just tell your family. Don't just tell your neighbors you love them. 
Let them see it in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to be a church that has better models, love in deed and in truth, and not just in word. Help us as individuals, as husbands, as fathers, as mothers, as employees, as employers, show our love in deed and in truth. And Lord, may we show the world the gospel that they need, um, the good news of how they can have salvation in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just want to give you all the praise, you all the glory, and may your love shine through us to mission that people would know we are your disciples by our love for one another. May people know we follow you in Jesus' name.